0: So, I get the mic about once every four years, (laughs) and I think Stu's, like, a little bit terrified when I get it, because last night he said, would you extend uh, some gratitude on behalf of the Skyview Community Church to Dr. Dahl and Mrs. Dahl, and I said, okay, and then he said, "Um, okay, so, like, make sure you say this, and then I went, okay, and then he goes, okay, and, like, don't forget this part, and I went... Okay. And then he goes, and then, and then like, make sure that you say this part. And then this morning when I come in, he's like, okay, you're going up now. Did you get everything? And I went, I think I can handle it. I'm going to try really hard not to be inappropriate or loud, which is, which is my general modus operandi. So um, Dr. Dahl and Mrs. Dahl, if you just come up here, I don't know if very many of you know, and this is really weird. Dr. Dahl is actually my boss and he's Stuart's boss as well. So we both have the same boss. And sometimes it makes, it's like a little bit strange. Um, <laughs> um, Dr. Dahl's responsibilities are not just uh, in Alberta. We have three provinces that Dr. Dahl oversees. Um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, 36 churches, a whole bunch of compassionate ministries. He sits on some boards that are normal and some really weird boards too. Um, and he travels all the time. Like he's gone half the month, right? Which is why there's a lot of, artificial plants in your house because they die, right? Because half the time you're not there. Um, uh, Something else that's also really unusual and strange, I don't know if any of you realize how weird it is to be a pastor's wife, because it's almost, it's like a position, right, but an unpaid position, and um, it's, it's strange because when you go for interviews, right, at churches, the wife gets interviewed too, or the spouse, whatever it happens to be, um, but not only um, is it strange to be a pastor's wife, but you're also an ordained elder in the church, and you have your own responsibilities. And um, it means that a lot of the time, Dr. and Mrs. Dahl, you're at different churches, and you're—which <laughs> is weird, right? Um, <laughs> but it works good, and so—oh, <laughs> dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> um um and so we just want to extend our, our gratitude uh, for the work that you do in all of the 36 churches on our entire district, um, for being a pastor to our pastors, um, offering your support, um, encouragement. Um, you also approved the district to give to Skyview Church $100,000 towards our building fund, and that's a fantastic show of support to our church. And um, we just wanted to let you know how much we really appreciate you. Um, We love you. Um, We really appreciate the way that you are generous uh, with your time. Um, Always having your cell phone, you give your cell phone out to everybody. And so you're always available uh, when pastors or lay people need to get in touch with you. And um, we just wanted to let you know um, how much we love you and appreciate you and the work that you do. And so I purchased um, some plants over there. I'll shake your hand too. Um, the big round tree is apparently quite hard to kill. so it, <laughs> And it can be an indoor or outdoor plant. And then just a potter for some color on your deck or something like that. Geraniums also, difficult to kill. And so I will help you carry those out to the car. And then I have a card for you as well. And I just wanted to thank you and um, appreciate you for making the time to be here today. I know you had other responsibilities this morning. And um, we look forward to hearing your message. So. I, <laughs> Okay.
1: Man, I don't know why it takes four years for you to get up here. <laughs> on the way, thank you so very much. Uh, and Ruthann is a gift to us. I do want to say, and, and uh, that was one of the things I wanted to pass on to you is is um, uh, the the great way in which she does so many things for us in the district. And and yeah, I am on the road a lot, and, uh, and it's just great to know there's, uh, between her and uh, Rose Graham, uh, most of the stuff gets done along the way just through them, and I show up when they tell me to be where I need to be in that moment, so... Uh, great to be here. This morning started for me quite uh, uh, pretty relaxed. Actually, it was uh, it was one of those uh, mornings where I it's a quick drive here, and uh, so I knew I had some time and preparation. And so, uh, and Audrey had left to uh, uh, she she's uh, in charge of Garrison Green Chapel, which is a uh, retirement complex uh, that uh, apartment complex, and they have a service they do every Sunday and she arranges for uh, preachers and music and, and people like that. So, uh, so she, she's a pretty busy schedule for that. So she'd already headed off to uh, take care of that. A uh, cup of coffee, uh, uh, took some time, read the scriptures, did my little journal uh, part, had some prayer time, and, uh, and thought I'm, I'm going to review and go over my message for this morning. And so I'm in the process of, of uh, doing that, and I I, uh, I thought I should time this, make sure I'm not too long, uh, although, uh, never mind, I won't say anything about preachers and how long they preach, so, <laughs> but I thought I should, I should t- and, I, and I took a look, and I thought, oh my goodness, it's 1025. And I had specifically had instructions from your pastor to be here at no later than quarter after 10 so they could at least do this. And I thought, I'm late, and I'm halfway up the stairs thinking, how does this happen? Why is that going on? And then I realized I, I just flew in last night from Winnipeg, and it was Winnipeg time. So I, I, so I survived a heart attack in the midst of uh, all of this stuff. Uh, and, and I just want to say, I'm glad to be here on time. <laughs> it's nice, nice to make it along the way. And I do bring you greetings from Canada West District that represents 33 other churches that have, uh, that are meeting this morning from the small little community of Riverton, Manitoba uh, and a unique little ministry called uh, Hecla uh, Summer Church that, uh, that is running uh, to a variety of different uh, places across the district and, uh, and eight compassionate centers, which is a very, very important part of what we do, I don't simply throw them in as a sidebar. But uh, there's some significant things that are happening through Compassion Ministry work. I was uh, spent some time uh, this week at, at Salome Mission, which is our largest Compassion Ministry center. Uh, they will feed today 400 people uh, for for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They will house 150 uh, in emergency shelter. They have uh, they have an ongoing great ministry that happens. They have over 8,000 volunteers who assist throughout Winnipeg. If you go go to Winnipeg and you mention Salome, they will know what that is and where it is. And if you go to Winnipeg, uh, go there to get a tour. It's an amazing ministry that's taking place in that area, and it is your ministry. It is part of the Church of Nazarene. It's a part of who we are and what we do and why we do the things that we do. Uh, so so I just want you to know, thank you, and, and do bring greetings from you. We're excited about your future. I'm very pleased to know that you're working uh, very aggressively towards uh, getting some uh, some spade work into the ground and, and a building plan and that, and, and uh, we, uh, we're just glad to be able to partner with you along this. Let me draw your thoughts to the scripture reading, and uh, you have in your, that sermon note has uh, uh, the first uh, eight verses from chapter 2 of Acts. I'm going to read a couple more verses beyond that, but, uh, but follow along with me if you would. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Just imagine what Jeff is doing in that uh, only worse. Uh, and fill the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked. Are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamanites, res- residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other parts of Libya, Near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Pentecost is a highlight event, and I appreciated what Jeff had shared. Indeed, we do see it as a celebration of the birth of the church. It is also a, uh, a, a feast and a festival of the Jewish people as well. Pentecost, 50 days after the celebration of Passover, which, which uh, for the Jews celebrated the deliverance out of Egypt uh, into nationhood, and then 50 days later is, is Pentecost, and it is a time when they would celebrate the harvest that was coming in. So it was somewhat akin to to our Thanksgiving event, uh, the, the Feast of the Harvest is... Is, uh, is something that was important to them. And they also recognized, or, or for the Jewish people at least, would say that it also is a time when they would uh, they would uh, say that that was the time when Moses received the Ten Commandments, which for them was more than simply just rules and ro- regulations, but uh, but the practices by which they would live and the principles in which they could honor God and all of those things. So it was a very important, significant time in the life of that. And if, it, if you were... Uh, Uh, If if you were going to choose a time to go to Jerusalem in those days, Pentecost would be the time that you would want to be there. Luke, the historian who writes this passage in Acts, uh, certainly describes it as a time when uh, numbers of people are there and gathering from far and from near across the nations of those days. Every nation under heaven, it says, had come together searching and looking for something. Which then made me begin to think and wonder to myself. Two questions arose. What might they have been looking for? What might their lives have been like? And what, in fact, were they promised and did they receive? I love the idea of sometimes playing a little bit with some thoughts on this. And what might their lives have been like That uh, drew them to this place. What would prompt people in those days. In that time. To go to such lengths. To come to this ancient center of worship. Jerusalem. Travel was hard and difficult and and the journey would take time and not a small amount of money. It wasn't a matter of somebody say, hey, road trip and everybody piles in and you just go where you want to go. It was a matter of where you would have to plan a lot of things in advance and and set aside a number of things and it would not have been simply uh, simply a matter of going on this safe little journey but it would be full of dangers and, and, uh, and uncertainties along the way. So it begs the question, why did they come? What is it that created such an urgency in their heart and life that would want to draw them to this place? I, I, they, were, they were like us, I'm sure, without a doubt. And so as I thought and reflected a little bit on it, I thought about, about four things that I think characterize the journey that I hear and see and sense in the lives of people today in, in, in our society as well that I think would probably be similar to their day. There would have been those who would come, and, and, and the question on their mind is, 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 what am I going to do? Uh, the feeling of aimlessness. Uh, there are times, indeed it is, was a, when, when, when the temptation for us is to think about what is it that we, we want to do and a dream about and chase. And, and that transcends gender, gener, gender, uh, generations. It's not simply something that is a question for the for the young of heart uh, as well. Some of us are getting to that place where a few years from now we'll we'll talk about retirement, and and it's our question as well. What do we want to do, and how will we go, and what's it going to look like? And that's certainly the case. Children, uh, all as they grow up, they get to that place where they start to chafe a little bit about being at home, and they just they just they just want to get away from the control of parents and the torment of brothers and sisters and, and 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 just do what they want to do they have this idea this is what i need and what i want students who are studying and preparing for for something do it with an idea that i want a career i want this job uh, here's what i'm looking for young adults who are who are uh, in a career path and in a track that they are uh, going through are looking for somebody who they will share life with, who, who will be, uh, be well-off and good-looking and love them completely and absolutely. Married people uh, often think, you know, if, I could just, if we could just improve things in our life and area, if he could change, if she could change, if, if things could be better. And on it goes. There's all of these elements in our life about things that we think to ourselves, life would be good if... There's this sense of aimlessness that often characterizes things. And I think ingrained into the human spirit is almost this desire. I'm not sure exactly why somebody, sometimes it is that, uh, that we expect the least when it comes to the good and the worst when it comes to the bad. But we do that and we're looking for uh, some sense of direction. What am I going to do? What do I need to do? What should I do? I love, the, I love the images that I find throughout the Scripture that reminds us indeed, well, God does have a plan for you. And they would have come seeking for some direction for life. There have been those as well who would have come and, uh, and, and they, would have, they would have come because they, were, they would be thinking in their mind, how can I ever feel free? How can I ever get out of the weight of the feeling that somehow I'm just not good enough? The feeling of being accused of guilty. When I was a young teenager, there is a there is a, a a weekly summer event that I always yearned to attend. So Sunday afternoons were the regular times for the stock races in Lethbridge. Uh, may not mean much to some of you, but for a teenage kid, that was just the best place to ever think about. Nothing Nothing refined about those cars that raced around that dirt track. They were just junk cars that had been pieced together and souped up with old engines and parts and spray-painted a little bit and a number on the side and lots of noise and dust and dirt. And and for, for some here, they'd say, I have no idea why that's attractive, but for me, that was just like... Uh, that, was, that was fulfillment. That was a wonderful thing to be able to do. And and, and, and the ultimate would be at the end of the stock car race they would have the demolition derby. where You got to see everybody smashing into each other so that the last car moving is the one that won. Some of you know what I mean. But it cost $2 to get in. Might as well have been 200 for me. Uh, so it was kind of a, a futile wish. The, but one day a friend of mine... Uh, showed me how we could get in without paying, uh, you know if you keep an eye on the security guys, these tin panels that they put in so you can 't sit outside and watch you know you could find these loose places. I was skinny back then i could i could and and, and, and so uh, so I sneaked in along with my friends in the midst of this and and uh, and you know i I really didn 't enjoy the race i I, um, I kept thinking to myself every time a security guy would come by and I'd blush. I, I'm sure I showed up red and, you know, in the midst of that. And I, I kept waiting for one of them to come along and say, did I see you sneaking in? And, and I, I was certain that, that for sure I was going to be caught. And, and, and it was so on my mind, I don't even remember the race I don't remember anything that went on in the midst of that. It just seemed like, like I was feeling guilty this whole time. When, I, when we left out, I, I kind of walked in the shadows and around people and, and trying to hide away. And, and even when I got home and, and got into bed, I was waiting for the doorbell to ring and the police officer to be there to say, we've just had a citywide search for your son who we saw broke into the stock car races. And I thought, my poor mom, the start of my criminal career in the midst of all of that. Do you remember those kind of things? Now, that's minor in so many ways, but we know what guilt feels like, don't we? We know what shame is. In many different forms and places, far more uh, painful and graphic and difficult than simply that. And there would have been those who would have come to Jerusalem that day because their life was weighed down. They wanted freedom. They would take the journey and the trip and all of the ordeals in order to simply be there for Pentecost. Some would have come and, and 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 their question would have been that ultimate question, what is the meaning of life, the feeling of emptiness in the midst of all that life was bringing to one's self? The name Lawrence of Arabia conjures up for us all of the uh, the adventure and the intrigue of a of a sultan, a prince riding across the sand dunes of Saudi Arabia, and 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 uh, and and certainly Sir Lawrence was a was a real person, a young man, an army uh, officer who, at a young age, became famous for his exploits and his deeds there in Saudi and and uh, and. And what's often not known is that he didn't die in, some, uh, in the midst of some great battle among the shifting sands of that far off place. Uh, but he died in unhappiness in the middle age of his life back in England. And he once described uh, his life as empty, obscure, and woefully unhappy. And he said, uh, shortly before he died, there is something broken in the works, my will I think. And, uh, and sometimes we have to accept the fact there's something broken in the works. We look around us in our, in our world often that surrounds us, something that is tragically not right about things. We, we hear that the terrible uh, things that show up in news reports and wonder how could somebody ever do that. And, and it bothers us in the inner part of us that there's something just not right. And and often there is this uh, sense of wondering at times when we're honest with ourselves in our own journey of those times to say, is, is it enough for me? When I think back uh, this past year to how is it that, that uh, comedic geniuses like Robin Williams would so despair of life to take his own life. And, and didn't that impact us to think He's about laughing and and those things, and yet somehow meaninglessness. We recognize that that's a piece and a part of our world that was in that day as well. I have no question that some came simply to find out how do I make sense out of things. I grew up I grew up pretty straight in in uh, in our home. i never never was a habit in as a young person to. To, uh, to, to stray from what it is that the church and my mother had instructed and taught me on. And, and uh, so as a young adult, every once in a while when I was, uh, I, I would, I would uh, shock people a little bit and said, I've been in every bar in Lethbridge. Uh, and uh, and then I would say, you see, I was I was a Coca Cola salesman. I sold Coke and had a root in the town. And so one of my jobs was to go to the bars, and you you go in and you find out what they want for soft drinks, and uh, and you supply it and you bring it in, and you uh, you meet that area of need. And I discovered something as I was working in that particular area. Uh, that often I would have the chance to come through the front door to meet with a manager or somebody along the way, and it's, uh, it's well appointed, it's beautiful, it's uh, ornate, it's the kind of place you say, uh, Boy, this would be a great place to gather and meet with people, and, and it's uh, quite elaborate in those areas. And then I'd take his order, and then I would, uh, but I was never delivering through the nice, fancy stuff, I had to go through the back and i see it from the back alley and the back area back rooms and the basements and and it was a whole different world back there and you say then you see the scuzzy side of everything that's going on and many times I have thought as I in ministry I've had the the privilege of working with individuals who are working their way through addictions and back into normal life and I thought it's not unlike what I saw in those bars in some ways that it all looks good on the outside but inside there's a broken piece to all that is happening here that needs to be fixed. I know there were people who came to Jerusalem that day for those very reasons as well. Something's not right. Still others, I think, would have come motivated out of fear, the uncertainty of life. And is there a purpose to everything? Particularly, is there a purpose to some of the stuff that's come into my life that's damaging and bad and and, and harmful and and, and Peter's message came to them, and it, and it cuts quick to their heart, and they understood that there was unstable, uncertain things in their life, and they cried out in his me- at the end of his message, "What can we do? How do we deal with unstable, uncertain things that are going on in our life?" We understand in times of economic instability and those things, and I do go from church to church to church, and. And, uh, and I know quite a number of people who work in oil field industry and, and, uh, and, and they'll tell me, that you know, it's, it's uh, hard. Many of them who are losing jobs or on, the, on a place of, uh, of diminished roles and places and finances and, and things get quite uncertain. And there's a time when we say, so maybe it's all of the things we hold on for hope and future that are at risk for us here. And I have no doubt that there were people who came to Jerusalem that day as well. And maybe when they did when they did the greatest tragedy of all was the best that they were given was a temporary ritual of faith. It was the best that they had to offer. Pentecost. Harvest Festival. It didn't fill the void. It didn't deal with the emptiness. It didn't straighten out the aimlessness, the fear, the guilt. But it was better than nothing. And It was all they had. Christian Pentecost, however, was about bringing them something more than they had ever dreamed and hoped for. Which is why we celebrate it, recognize it, honor it, and, and, and come back and say there was something birthed in that moment we cannot diminish. What is it that they received in that time that we receive in this celebration time as well? And I think there were four corresponding promises to, that, that lift and support who came and who witnessed and who experienced this Holy Spirit coming into the midst of these people. The first thing they came to, to, to see and acknowledge and recognize was a faith, something that was totally different and new. The first thing Pentecost provided and promised was that things could change. Before that, all they were promised was the fact that that there was a sense even in the Hebrew faith that shrugged it off as even a possibility that there would be anything that was meaningful change and transformation. Transformation. Jeremiah says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leper change his spa? The the implied answer is certainly no, of course not. Neither, Neither can you do good if you are accustomed to doing evil. But Pentecost brought a remarkable and powerful force and change into the lives of those who came ready to receive. Because there was an understanding that in God you can do, that that God can change things in you. And God is here for you. And there is a good news to say He is not leaving you without hope and help. He's, he's, He's more than willing to bring change into your life. It's all a part of the gift of God. It's what David desired so much when he prayed Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So what Ezekiel was looking for and ahead of when he, when he prophesied, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And it is gloriously what, what, what Paul celebrates in those classic words that say, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I delight in the greatest story ever told about how God came in the form of humankind, a man, Jesus, and encountered us eye to eye, the needy people of his day. He called fishermen and tax collectors and rich men and poor men to follow him. I'm excited when I read about the miracles and the lives that were changed physically and spiritually and the possibility that he he opened up for men and women who before that had simply been relegated to a life of of pain and incapacity. We still find ourselves stimulated and, and brought to deep thought by his parables that though ancient still ring true to us today. Here was God in a form that could encounter men and women at their own level, in their own realm. And he challenged the weak, compromising people of faith who had cheapened the things of God to to embrace something greater. He challenged the intellectual giants of the day who had simply diminished God in uh, in their way and to water down the whole matter of the little faith that they did have. And without a doubt, the most meaningful of all was a God who would love us enough uh, to go through the kind of pain and agony that you and I are susceptible to. The, the understanding of a Trinitarian love that says, I will walk with you in this. Feel times of despair and aloneness and heartbreak and memory when you are close to those who are, who are dying and you have no hope otherwise and the agonies and the finalities that come with life. And most remarkable of all was the Spirit of a living God who after death Him itself works and reaches and draws men to newness of life and hope. And it is a faith that presents itself to us and is honored and recognized in this Pentecost event, this faith that becomes and is modeled to us secondly as a force. These people became people who influenced uh, 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 for good in a gone wrong kind of a world. People who were powerful and not pathetic. The Holy Spirit at work within God's people, within you, is a force to change and make right what is broken in this world. Let me say that again. The Spirit of God at work in you is to bring right what is broken in this world. Uh, I, read, uh, I read the other day of a man in Fairbanks, Alaska who developed an interesting machine that consists of 270 moving parts. Now, a wonder to behold the movements and the gears and the wheels and the turning shaft. And when he was asked what it did, he said, nothing, it just turns. That's all it does. There are times when our lives almost seem like that. We just kind of dare and do our stuff Is this all it is. And there are those in our world that tell us the universe of the things around us is just like a machine. It just kind of operates and works and it's winding down and just so much action and, and it's kind of like a big clock that, uh, that accidentally came into being and there's emptiness and meaningless and it just kind of does what it does what it does. Nancy Annerman wrote a book uh, called uh, Sacred Stories and Spiritual Tribes. She's a sociologist. I... I, I mentioned uh, the book to uh, Joel He said, "Have you read it?" I thought, kind of beat him on that one, and he said, "Yeah, I have. Here's, here's three other books you should read. <laughs> I'm never telling him any more about books I'm going to read. I get homework when I do that. But it's an interesting study of, of, of North American uh, people to say, what is the story of sacredness in your life, in your daily life, in your routine? And she didn't just go through churches. She chose just a random group of people. Sociologists do that. And out of that, she came up with about a third of the people who would say, well, I just have really no affiliation with any religious group at all. And, and, and uh, journeyed on their study and their time together and, and came up with some very interesting things and, and, and some very common things. And, and two of the things that she noted on this is she said when it comes to the matter of doing good, of being good people in this broken world, uh, she writes, Loving and caring for others, being compassionate, and setting aside selfishness were guiding virtues espoused by, uh, by, participation, by participants across the religious and non-religious spectrum. Everybody says it's right to do good things. However, she said most of those who did not come out of a faith-based orientation in this didn't think that the good things they did would make much difference. Not going to change anybody. Corruption will continue. Brokenness will continue ongoingly i i love what i see when i go to these compassion centers that are our centers where you see people uh you know fellowshipping with the with people visited a number of different staff persons who, who are there and and the average age of the people who work at Salomish mission there's about 70 to 80 full-time people who are on staff there uh the average age is 25 Uh, And and these are, are, as I sat and met, these are not people who couldn't get a job someplace else. (laughs) I met one bright young gal who uh, who had a very good position at a a bank role. Uh, She's she's got lots of credentials and areas. Took a a, a cut in salary to come and work at our mission. Because she just felt like this makes a difference. The bank is simply doing what banks do, making money. This place is changing lives. She's willing to put her life into that role and her place for that purpose alone because she does know it does make a difference because it's based not on simply good deeds but an understanding this is Christ who works in and through our hands. The second thing that Anderman, uh drew thought to is that uh, for many of them, facing the end of the life, end of life, suddenly uh, in spite of all of the lifetime of, of decisions to say, I'm really not, uh, don't really get much of this spiritual stuff, etc. End of life continued to, as she stated, pushed people into a spiritual awareness of something else. The people that came to, at Pentecost were like that. The people today are like that. People that we celebrate. Uh, Haddon Robinson is, was a resident of, of, of Mouse Town, which is a, which is a, a, a section of Harlem. His, his world was drawn into that small area of these dingy, dirty little streets and run-down subways and crowded apartment dwellings. And, and, and most of the people who, uh, who he lived with uh, knew had never ventured outside of New York. Uh, most of them hadn't uh, gone much out of their own neighborhood, in fact. Haddon Robinson had n- no idea what the world offered until he, he, uh, he had the opportunity to visit a cousin out in Pennsylvania when he came back to Moustown. The things that he never noticed before he came to his attention, the dirt, the squalor, the noise, the clutter, and, and, he, and he had a hunger for something more, but didn't know what it was. And then he, he, as a young boy, started to attend a Sunday school near his community, and his world expanded as he discovered a sense of, uh, of love that people expressed to him that said, this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. And I led him on to a search for more. I Went on to university, graduate school, seminary. And for many years served as the preaching, uh, the, as the president of Denver Seminary. And, and probably one of the world's foremost teachers of preachers. Your pastor and I. Uh, imagine uh, uh, he, but, al- but also I, learned from the books and the texts that Haddon Robin wrote. And if you'd asked Haddon Robin what changed from his empty, aimless life, he would tell you about the force of a faith in a Holy Spirit's work in his life. And a conversation that drew him to something more. To discover that the Holy Spirit isn't simply a force. Third, the Holy Spirit is a friend. The Holy Spirit. Parakletos. The one that comes alongside, the companion, the counselor, the trusted guide in life. The greatest friend you will ever have. And there are ways in which uh, you can deal with uh, with the uncertainties of life. You can simply uh, curl up into a ball and live in paralyzing, tormenting fear. We know people like that. Or you can put on a facade and live a false uh, kind of a sense of confidence and uncertainty and and unsettledness about what the future will hold. Or, Or be at peace as you simply say, God in Christ is with me. Here is a friend whose presence and companionship partners along with us. Stanley Baldwin said, do you know that Jesus Christ is your king? Perhaps too little recognized and followed you by you in the past has overwhelming forces available for your rescue he you can scatter your enemies and restore your freedom and dignity you don't have to be maimed I'm not saying that there aren't going to be battles to the contrary the struggle may be long and fierce the outcome however is not in doubt the overflowing life will make you powerful not pathetic Paul said it well to Timothy when he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity or a a spirit of, uh, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. The final thing they would have found in that Pentecost moment, that fourth thing was a future, a purpose for doing what we do. It certainly was modeled well by the people of the early churches as from that point on they took up uh, a life and an understanding that had purpose because it was fueled by the work of the Spirit in their life to accomplish what it is that God had called them to. And they honored their life in their daily lives. You and I can do that. They did it through meaningful work. Not just kind of putting in time, but recognizing they are Christ in the setting where they work. So are we. Glorifying God, which is the chief end of mankind, the catechism tells us, by our life, by our words, by our witness. And serving others. The selflessly loving others. And again... The promise of the Spirit is what infuses that into our lives to accomplish what needs to be done to sustain us and to keep us and to draw us to a needy con- uh, a community of people. And it is a hope that does not die. To cleanse, to empower, and to direct our lives in ways that are pure and holy. The Spirit, the church, and the Word world all impacted by this Pentecost event, made a difference then. We're no different. It makes a difference now. And invite the worship team to come and lead you uh, in this. And would you reflect on what it is that the Holy Spirit would have you to say and to know and to acknowledge even yet today as we finish off this time of worship.